Hello and welcome to the Emotion at Work podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And as you will have already noticed, fair listener, this episode is different. So uh, the Emotion at Work podcast is having a bit of a change uh, in terms of the music has altered. And there's been, there was only one person I could go to when I needed some new introductory and outroductory I don't know if that's even a word. When I needed some new in and out music for the podcast, there was only one person I could go to. That person wasn't available, sadly. (laughs) So you came to me, which was excellent. I did go to you, Mr. Mark Gilroy. That's Mark Gilroy from the Twitter, if you weren't aware, fair listener. Uh, So um, the... Uh, the intro and outro music is courtesy of Mark, um, but also I asked Mark to reprise his role as host of the Emotion at Work podcast, um, as he did back in, I should have written it down, episode something that we uh, that we did before. So uh, on that note, I don't know what we're doing next, because um, it's all down to you. So I will hand over hosting duties to you, sir. Oh, thank you, Phil. Thank you for having me back. And it's um, wonderful to have seen the podcast grow. We talked last time... I was guest hosting, this was the anniversary special, we talked about you know, the, the, the development of the podcast and what you were hoping for, what you were wishing for, uh, as well as a couple of personal stories too. So um, really we thought today we'd take that stage further mm-hmm. with something that is a particularly personal story for you. It is, yes. So what would you like to talk about? Uh, okay, so um, I want to do, uh, uh, so as part of the stories, I guess, um, series, so we talked about, uh, we've had uh, we've had episodes on anxiety, we've had ones on depression, we've had ones on um, imposter syndrome and, and a number of other themes. But one of the things that we haven't talked about is chronic pain. Um, and by chronic pain, I mean physical chronic pain. Um, because I think often what may be underestimated um, is the the links between the physical pain that you might experience and then the impact that has emotionally on people. Uh, And as regular listeners of the podcast will know, um, I've had a challenging couple of years Um, health-wise. And I guess I wanted to talk about that. And there's a there's a number of cautions that I've got around it. So one is um, who really cares? Does anybody really care? Does anybody really care about my experiences with chronic pain? Um, uh, and there's something else about um, it's just my experience of chronic pain. So it, you know, I, I'm going to talk about my experience with it and the impact it had for me physically, the impact it had for me emotionally, mentally, and, and all of that good stuff. Um, I say good stuff, it's not good stuff, and all of that stuff. Mm. And um, and I'm also well aware that there are, that other people will have different experiences. So in the same way that when I set this podcast up, I wanted it to be hearing from practitioners, hearing from business leaders, and hearing from researchers. So in the pipeline, this is a series of episodes for me. So there's, yes, there's one for me, talking about my experiences with chronic pain, um, I've also got lined up some other guests to come and talk about their experiences of chronic pain. And I'm in the process of identifying a researcher who, res- who researches into chronic pain and in particular, the interplay between physical pain and emotional health and emotional well-being. So what I'm keen to do is to uphold the values, I guess, that the podcast subscribes to in terms of wanting to talk about the role that yeah emotion has in the workplace but also to take a real strong kind of evidence base and research base to to what we talk about and what we do so um 
and I was trying to think, well, could I put all of that together in one episode? And Mark, you and I had the conversation where I said, um, the bit I was unsure about was whether I could, uh, I don't know if the, justifiably or if I could justify talking about my experiences and being the host at the same time. Mm. So I think that's why I, um, with your guidance, decided to, to split them out. So rather than trying to host a podcast talking about chronic pain where I'm talking about my experiences on it with others, is to have one episode that's kind of distinct in that way, where it's talking about me and my experience, and another episode that's talking about other people's experiences, where I think it'll be easier for me then to, to take up that hosting duty because I'll have already have told my story. So my plan is for this to be the first in a series of three episodes then. Um, so I'll have already told my story by this point, so then we can um, we can go on to bring other people in hmm. as we see fit. Thanks, Phil. And and I guess a kind of an, a start as a starting point for anyone who's listening who's not had any experience or knowledge of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind, we're talking about your experience of it. How would you describe it for them? How is it different from regular? garden variety pain um, how is it different from regular garden variety pain so in two ways I suppose or in two ways I think so one is the enduring nature of it so it's, it's just always there from you know so and and again other people's experiences may be different but for me like sometimes when I take paracetamol or ibuprofen or any of those things the pain goes away and then it comes back Um, but even when I was at the height of all of the different um, drugs I was taking for the pain I was experiencing it was it never went away it was just always there and it's the the extent to which I had to change just day-to-day life stuff really to account for the fact that this pain was there and, and then the debilitating effects it has because there's yes in part it's the um, so for example we couldn't go on holiday well we couldn't it was it was really hard to go on holiday for anywhere that needed longer than two hours in a car because that that was about my pain threshold so if i i could do an hour that'd be okay hour and a half that got a bit tricky but anything up to two hours the pain was so bad like we, we were driving back from uh, from holiday once um and i was being really stubborn um i was like no i'm fine we can get home in one go we can get home and the traffic was really bad um and I remember just feeling like I was going to pass out in the car um, because the pain was just so bad, and, and and I guess it's stuff like that that because it's always there, and you or I I felt like it. I just always had to think about my day, my week, my month, and plan around the fact I was going to be in pain. Mm. So, like if if I got a, if I got a phone call to say. Um, can you do a gig this on a, on a, on a, any given week? If I already had two days away, then my answer had to be no because I knew physically I couldn't cope with that 
much work in or that that much physical activity and that much time of being upright um, without it yeah without it having a yeah without just being in complete and utter agony and then not really being able to function and if we if we we wind back slightly so we talked a bit there about your physical experience of pain and touched on some of the emotional side of it too we'll, we'll come back to that what what was the what was leading to this? What was causing the pain in your case? Uh, so, I, so I can't remember how much of this I've shared on the podcast already. I know I talked about it a little bit. So um, I've, I've fractured one of the vertebrae in my spine. And in particular, the type of fracture I have is called a, or I had, sorry, was called a pars defect. And what that means is the, um, the vertebrae, instead of it being held still, it would slide forwards and backwards. So um, if you imagine, there's the bottom three vertebrae of your spine, um, and it was the middle one of those three that I fractured. And so what would happen is when I was weight bearing, that vertebrae would slide forward, and it would slide forward, um, I can't remember, I think it was seven millimeters or eight millimeters, which doesn't sound like very much, but in kind of spine world, it's quite a lot. Um, And it would put then, pressure on my spinal cord which would then compress the nerves then which would then send pain down my legs so I would uh, I'd regularly have numbness in one in one or both of my legs primarily my left leg but I'd regularly have numbness in one uh, in one of my legs um, I would regularly have uh, shooting pain sort of sciatica what would feel like sciatica type pain that would start kind of in the outside of my hip and then work its way through my buttock um, down the back mm. of my leg through you know through my hamstring down my calf and then it would kind of it would feel like there was a, a jolt of electricity going down my leg and then out of my big toe um, and like at its peak so on on that particular car journey that I'm thinking of that would that jolt of electricity down my leg would happen every 15 seconds so like so four times a minute I felt like there was just this this jolt of electricity going all the way down my leg and out of my toe um, Gosh. and yeah and that, and so when I was then you know in the car for however long it was and then yeah it, it, so it's the I guess so similar to what you asked earlier on what makes it different from your garden variety pain um, so even though I was taking because the, the type of painkillers I would take then were nerve blocking painkillers um, because the pain wasn't real mm. in that way so it wasn't like I had a um, you know, I'd, I'd broken a bone or fractured a. Obviously, I had fractured a vertebrae, but you know what I mean. So the pain never really manifested itself in my back. The pain only ever manifested itself in my legs, um, and and because it was nerve pain, like there wasn't a dressing I could change or a, um, you know, all all I could do was take more drugs. And over the course of a year, um, I went from that to that. So. I started off on a certain dose and by the end of that year my dose was 800 times more than it was when I'd started so I'd gone from 300 to 5,400 over the course of 12 months so the the solution to the pain isn't getting any better was more and and again you know the um the 
yes, they'd help, but it would never go away. It wouldn't ever be, I was never pain free, you know, so I was always in some kind of pain and mm-hmm. it was just whether that, whether that pain was bearable enough or not. And the more active I was, the more pain I was in. So that's where the moderation bit had to come in, both in terms of physical activity and or, um, you know, travel and or whatever some of those other things were. That moderation had to be there because if it wasn't, the the pain would get so bad that it would, yeah. And because to alleviate, the, the best way to alleviate the pain was to lie down. Because when I was weight bearing, the vertebrae would slide forward. So the pain would then alleviate when I'd lie down. And one of my least favorite memories was, um, I was running a gig near where we are now and uh, it got to morning break. And whereas normally, you know, stop, I'd go work the room and so on. Um, I went and found a room that nobody was using and led down for the whole of the 15 minutes to just buy myself enough time <laughs> to then go back do the next bit. And then over lunch, scoffed some food really quickly and then went and led down for the rest of the, and did the same for the afternoon break. And uh, and yeah, it was, it was the only way I could get through the day was by, um, yeah, going and lying down on a concrete floor in a room in the back of a village hall somewhere. Mm. Is it a village hall? Something like that. Mm. Um, and just, yeah, because it was the, the, uh, all, the drugs helped, of course, but they, but yeah, it never went away completely, so... And so when you were talking to medical practitioners about this, how often did the subject of pain and the experience of pain come up? Oh, every time. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it be, and, and there's, there's lots of, um, I, yeah, to be clear, the NHS were amazing for me. For, the, for all of this. The GP was great. The uh, local um, NHS trusts were great. Where I went to have my surgery were great. Um, and it was a it was a long process to get to a diagnosis and knowing what was, actually knowing what was wrong and then trying to do something to fix it. And then that didn't quite work, so we then had to try and fix it again. Um, <clears throat> but pain was, yeah, that was, the, that was the constant feature because that was, you know, yeah, that was life, you know. And when the when I, when I first went to see, was it the consultant? I can't remember. Um, somebody asked me, "What's your, you know, what, 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 you know, what would what would a great outcome for you look like, or something like that?" That sounds like a wanky L and D O D H R question, <laughs> um, but it was a, a, something along alongside that. Um, and I said, my and my answer was, "I want to be able to play football with my son." Because that's what that was, you know, that I, I couldn't do that. I'd gone from, um, and, and I'd, I want to play sports with my children, with all of my children. Um, but in particular, it was like, you know, my son wants me to play football with him and I just can't. I can't go outside and I can't stand up and kick a ball and I can't run around and I can't do any of those things. Um, and I guess I, I didn't expect it to have such a big impact on so so many areas that you just wouldn't normally think about you know like you know driving back from where were we we were in Whitby I think we were driving back from um, and yeah like I, you know not being able to drive from Whitby to home which is like well, I don't know 110 miles mm. and not being able to do that in one sitting just yeah just didn't expect that at all and you know 
on, or on a Saturday when family life is really busy, lots of, you know, our kids go to lots of different clubs and being able, you know, saying, right, I can do that run, but then I need an hour to rest and then I can do that, then I can take this child to that place and then I need an hour rest and then I can take this child to that place rather than just being able to go, right, let's go mm-hmm. type thing. Um, yeah. So your, your children are of an age where they will understand about pain and thankfully not about chronic pain. How, how did you go about explaining that to them about what you were going through? Um, so at, at that point, the youngest, um, my son, he probably didn't get it. In It, it was because he was, what, four at the time? Three, maybe four, when it first started. So he was probably a bit young. Um, like he knew he couldn't, I couldn't give him piggybacks anymore and stuff like that. So, but for the for the eldest two, we talked about it in terms of um, what do we say? I think we talked about it in terms of we we need to think about what daddy can do and what would be what would be too much for daddy and what would be you know what would be enough for daddy in that way. And the uh, the self imposed because it was never given by anybody else the self-imposed feeling of being a burden and being like an active consideration that that had to be made for the family um that yeah that wasn't a that wasn't a nice um that wasn't a nice thing nice place to be and and it's only and, and even i say it's only in the last probably the last six no less than that yeah no probably in the last six months um has been the the first time when the then when either I or the kids haven't had to think about stuff like when I take Joseph to get when he and I would go together to get a haircut and then he'd want to sit when it would get busy I'd encourage him to sit on my lap and then he'd go oh daddy which is your poorly leg because there was one leg he could sit on which wouldn't cause me pain and there's the other leg he could sit on which would cause me less pain so um you know and it's, I guess there's little stuff like that. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to ask me that question anymore. Or we can just mm. go and he can sit on my lap and we can read a book together and it's fine. Um, so I think there's the, there's the knock-on effect it has on on others. That and and also I was so I'm not answering your question now because I'm because t- I'm doing something else. But anyway, okay. I, I noticed I got I, I I as I reflect now, I think I was much more. And maybe justifiably so, but I was much more insular and much more selfish in my thinking back then, because it was always about what can I do, what can you know, what's manageable for me, what's achievable for me, as opposed to um, uh, as opposed to thinking about like what's right for the family or um, yeah or, or stuff like that. Because I because I, yeah, because I was limited in in what options I had available to me I guess or, or how I could do things um, there was yeah I, so I guess there was like, often there'd be the thought of if I can get through this then I can get to this point and then I can rest if I can get through this I can get to this point and then I can rest um, and, and I guess yeah so there's a there's there was a as I look back now there's a degree a degree of selfishness to that that makes me Ashamed is probably a bit strong, but mm. just um, 
Yeah, I don't like that. And I was a right grumpy bastard as well. Um, again, you know, I'd look back on it now and think, God, how did how did my wife and my kids put up with me? Because my like my my fuse and my temper was so short. Not necessarily like I I'd go up to like a ten instantly, but the time it would take me to get really annoyed, like to say to a five or a six out of ten, was a lot less than it is now and or was before. Mm-hmm. So I can be, I'm a lot more, I would say, and uh, you know, I'd have to ask, um, I don't know what, I don't know what my good lady wife would say now, but um, like for me, I'm a lot more tolerant and, and I've got more patience now than I had before. Mm. And in, in particular, the, the family got the, the brunt of that because I think, I, by the time I'd finish work in inverted commas I'd be physically exhausted from the pain I'd been in but I was also mentally exhausted because I was working so hard to hold to hold it together and when I say hold it together I don't mean like hold it together like I wanted to burst into tears but hold it together like you know I have to be and I choose to be incredibly attentive in what I do and so, if if I've got, you know, because I, I, so I wanted to use my hands to, to de- illustrate something, but that won't work because we're on a podcast, <laughs> um, even though you and I are together. So if there's like, a, if there's 100% of my attention, when I was in chronic pain, I would say that at least a third of it was constantly taken up by the fact that I was in pain. So... Because it, you know, because it, it was just there, and I couldn't ignore it. I couldn't ignore the fact that my left leg really hurt, or that I had this shooting pain going down my leg, or that I couldn't feel my calf, or couldn't feel my toes. Yeah, I can't ignore that stuff. So part of my attention was always there. So then I'd have to work hard to amplify the the other seventy percent to make sure that I was being as attentive as I could possibly be to whatever it was I was doing, whether I was coaching, whether I was facilitating, whether I was you know having a, a scoping call with a potential new client or whatever. But it, like at the end of a day of work, I was I was physically exhausted because often I've been stood up or sat up or traveling or whatever that is. So the, you know the physical toll. And then mentally and emotionally, I'd be exhausted. I'd be just, just like I'd have no capacity left for any of that patience stuff, mm. you know. So when, so for, for the family, then often they got the brunt of that because when I got home, or or after a, you know after I've been working, they'd say something, do something, and then you know, not like instantly but yeah just because I knew that that tolerance that patience wasn't there so mm. it, it was it was harder for them to know like which version of dad are they going to get is he is he re- is he had a is he had a rest recently is he rested because if he's rested he's less likely to be grumpy and if he's rested he's not going to snap at us and he might be a little bit of fun um yeah yeah, it's funny, isn't it? As, you, as you're describing that, I found myself thinking about all the things people could unwittingly stumble into that would ramp up your irritation factor. Because I was talking to someone about this the other day. 
how our tendency to start any conversation with how are you, even though we don't particularly care about the answer to that question. It's just a greeting mainly. In, yeah. in, in like UK culture, it's a greeting. In other cultures, they will genuinely tell you the answer to that. Um, yeah. German, for example, very direct. If you ask somebody how they are, you'll get the answer. And then you'll have to do something with that answer. But there's something very quirky about how we treat that question as a, as a kind of, yeah, it's a greeting. It's not really a, a, a true question, but I imagine people must have been stumbling into that with you quite a lot. Yes, and and it would de- and depending on who asked the question, it, it would depend on how the ritual the the ritualness of that greeting would go. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, it would it would depend. And in a workplace setting, then, um, in the main, I'd follow the ritual. I would say mm-hmm. so. There, there are there are and were some people who would know. Um, who, who may or would be more aware of what was going on, um, but I would say yeah, in, in the main there was the there was the ritualness of it, um, and then and or the other type of thing that would happen is we go through the ritual, and this happened today actually. So I was with a um, with somebody who I've, I've known for quite a while, but I haven't seen for about a year. So we went through the ritual at the beginning. Hi, how are you? Hug. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, you? Yeah, good. Um, and then we sat down at a table to eat some lunch together. And then I think the second question or the third question at the table was how is the back? So like the so the, mm. the, the ritual was performed as the ritual is intended to be, mm. which is to signify greeting and welcoming and all of that good stuff. Um and then the uh, and then the the I don't know if the word is genuine, but I've used it now anyway. So the, the yeah, the genuine question would then come um would then come later. But certainly, you know, there, yeah, there were many times where I'd get asked a question and then I, I wouldn't be able to say, because often because of the setting and the context, I wouldn't be able to say how I really was. Um, well, there were certain things that I, you know, certain strategies I'd use to manage it. So at the start of workshops or, you know, sessions I was running on a face-to-face basis, I'd often take a tennis ball with me that I'd tuck underneath my leg, you know, especially under my left leg, to trying to ease the, 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 the pain and the tightness in my legs. Um, and I'd explain, you know, I've got some back stuff going on and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, certainly there would be some of that unwitting, unwittingly stumbling into um, it. And or I just would answer... In, I'd perform the ritual in the way that you know we tend to, and yeah, and, and just go with it from there, really. But yeah, and on the flip side of that, were there any things that you remember that people did or said that helped and helped ease the tendency to want to have to put on a face or have to go into some ritual of I'm fine actually, I'm okay. Um. So it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned put on a face because that takes me back to um, to my other the, uh, the other podcast that we did together where we talked about face and face work and we did uh, and all of that good stuff. So I will revi- I will resist the temptation to go into that. Um, um, so in yeah so yes, especially for those that, that knew what was happening then, so they were able to help in terms of um, kind of asking what. Either what did I need in terms of? Uh, I can't think of a. I can't think of a better phrase than 
reasonable adjustments, but that sounds all very kind of formal. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that, but yeah, it's like, you know, there was a, right, what can we do to help? You know, is there something we could do to make it easier? Is there, um, you know, is there a, a, a venue we can choose or is there a room layout that would be better? Or is there, you know, so there was some stuff like that um, that people did. Um, you know, I don't know. I can't. I can't think of anything, and and then I feel bad because that implies that either nobody did that, nobody ever asked, and therefore nobody gives a shit. <laughs> Sorry, nobody cares. <laughs> um, or um, or I just don't remember when they did do that. So. Um, yeah, I guess if I put myself in, which I think is what was behind your question, of if I put myself if I put myself in the f- shoes of somebody in the workplace who knows somebody is experiencing chronic pain, what could what could you do? So I I, I think in the main for me it's ask it is you know what what is it that you need? What what can we do to make it bearable or, or easier and so on um, for you? And and at the risk of, I guess because. Because I researched this stuff, sorry, let me be more specific. Because I am fascinated by emotions and how they work and because of the, the reading and everything else that I've done around it, I feel like even though I have been a grumpy bastard at times, um, I've also been quite lucky that I've got a whole host of strategies that that I've pulled on in turn, you know, in, including you know, one of the advantages of, of working, you know, of running my own business then is that I can pick and choose how many days a week I'm going to work. And I can say, right, I'll take a gig on a Monday and a Tuesday, but I'll do nothing, you know, I'll make sure I'm home for the rest of that week because it gives me that I can choose whether I work flexibly in that way. So it, whereas if I was employed, um, I do not believe I would have been afforded the same flexibility that I had. Um, so, and, and because chronic pain often, well, that's not true. No, let me be more specific. For me, chronic pain manifested itself in other ways. So yes, for me, experientially, it was immensely painful. But, and then when I think about what, what did other people around me experience, they experienced me in, yes, I guess there were some physical aspects in terms of my range of movement and in terms of my type of movement. So, um, oh, I just remembered uh, the facilitation shindig that we did, uh, or that I was there for. I just remembered that. I've forgotten about that. Um, I hadn't forgotten about that. I was going to ask you a question about that. So, okay, yeah. that's fine. No, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, get that we'll get there. Um, so, the, uh, yeah, so the manifestation of it um often yeah so there was some physical aspects but in the main i would say the manifestation of it was either in grumpiness and or short you know shorter patience um or in withdrawal so i, I withdrew from a from uh, environments that i knew would cause me difficulty so you know i'm quite happy Oh, well, that's not true. Let me try that and rephrase. I have, I enjoy meeting new people and speaking at events. Um, and I think the last time, I, and I, and I pre-injury, I was on average about 
speaking about four times a year and going to network event, networking events every other month at least, I would say. In the, in the three, two and a half years then, it's been since I first since I first injured myself. I think I've spoken at two events and I've been to no networking events whatsoever. So what people will have, what people around me may have experienced is the grumpiness, less patience, more potentially short tempered, uh, withdrawal and lots of sighing and heavy breathing and not like creepy heavy breathing, but like of mm. type stuff mm-hmm. um yeah because that it was the uh, it was the, the knock-on effect of the the chronic pain on my emotional slash mental well-being that was the that i think people would have experienced more than mm. than seeing me kind of yeah wincing around in pain or um or any of that stuff because i don't think it uh, I don't think it manifested itself in that way. I guess on the flip side, I don't know because I haven't asked people. Um, um, but so I guess yeah. So to bring that together, then so if if for example I was if I think I if I had been in the workplace, I would worry that my the experienced people. Sorry, let me try again. If I think about what I remember doing saying and being in my environment I was able to control a lot of stuff to make that easier I think if I'd have been in a workplace what the workplace would have experienced was 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 the is the frustration the short-temperedness the grumpiness the disengagement and the withdrawal Mm. I'm not saying that everybody in chronic pain will do these things Mm. but I think for me and, and all of those things then could easily have been interpreted as something other than chronic pain. Now, it might be that I'd have been very open and transparent with my potential employer and they would have been really supportive and understanding and given me lots of, you know, uh, the opportunity to work from being led down in bed. Because that's what I, you know, if I worked on a Monday and a Tuesday, if I worked away, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I was working from my bed. You know, so I'd have, I'd have conference calls, led down. Uh, I know exactly which cushions best prop up my iPad to a point where I can type on it comfortably. Um, you know, so the, and, and, and would your average workplace have accommodated that? I'm, I'm just not, mm. I, I don't know, but I'm not, I'm not convinced they would have done. Yeah, you'd hope, I think we all hope, yeah. would hope that they would, but I doubt it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of those odd situations and I guess probably it, it's it's endemic of the problem that people don't really know how to react and in some cases it's not easy to ask the question what do you need or what can you do so I was thinking again about yeah, that, yeah, what yeah. you referenced that um, it was some sunny September a few years ago in, in Manchester mm. Julie Dryber ran a, a wonderful facilitation shindig that was all around emotion in, in, the, in the kind of in the room yep. um, and in the way that only she can had created a beautiful atmosphere of trust and support in the room and 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 you'd also been providing input all the way through um the morning and and i think everyone was aware of you slowly becoming more and more withdrawn Mm. as clearly your pain uh was ramping up 
and and I remember looking across at you having taken yourself away from the group and you were just lying on the ground in the room if it was like an attic room yeah it? it was yeah yeah and and it was it was it was odd because given the given the content of the day and given that it was a room full of facilitators most of which were coaches mm-hmm. um, and some some of them knew you better than others but I think everyone knew who you, knew you and, and and was and was supportive of you no one really knew what to do in that situation mm. and and I think in the end um, if I might you, you just left yeah and I, I don't remember getting to the station oh, I don't gosh. know I don't know how I got there what I was think that? I think I got on a bus mm. but I don't really I don't really remember do you remember the, what was going on that day what can, from your from your perspective what what had been going on so my ability to hold it together just got less and less as the day went on. Um, so I, I, I remember being incredibly excited about the day, really looking forward to it, um, putting the preparation and, and all of that diligently good stuff to get ready. And then um, I think it was when... So I, I, it started in the morning when we were when Jules and I were setting the room up and there was a it wasn't a mirror but it was a I think it was a pane of glass next to the door and I stood myself I saw myself standing and thought god I'm not even you know like I'm, I'm not even upright I'm, I'm like I, I yeah. felt like I was I know I wasn't at a 45 degree angle but not a 45 sorry I, I felt like I was at a 90 degree angle almost like I was completely bent over and I know it wasn't that bad um, but I asked Jules if I could put a piece of paper on that glass because I knew that if I was stood at the front of the room and I saw that reflection I, I was going to it was going to really struggle so I was like right okay let's change that then let's, let's change the situation so if, if I know that I'm not going to like what I see when I see my reflection in that let's do something about that so I put a piece of flip chart paper up there that I think it was capturing like once for the day or mm. it was capturing references or something but the purpose of that flip chart paper being in that position was to make it easier emotionally for me to cope with the day. Um, and there were a number of other strategies that I put in place to to, to help me. So part of that was um, making sure that I'd uh, planned in breaks during the day, making sure that um, I didn't stand for too long. So uh, I made sure there was a chair available for me at the front so that if I was standing for too long, I could sit down and I could ease it. Um, I'd have my tennis ball with me so I could use that as well um, but because of what because of the subjects we were talking about partly because of my you know my professional face and my competence face and you know wanting to to, to bring the expertise that I know around emotions um, but also to um, to you know, to give everybody in the room that experience you know and to have a really good experience through the course of the day I wanted that session to be really great and when it got to, because I think Jules and I discussed like the main input she wanted from me were in the morning. And then after lunch, she wanted me to stick around, but she was going to kind of lead the afternoon. And when we got to the end of that morning, I was just done. I, I was mm. I was physically, mentally, emotionally done. I was just like, I, I, I just can't carry on. So I thought, right, no, come on, you can, right? So, so that's when I went to lie down. I thought, right, no, let's lie down. You know that helps. And then I tried to get up and I couldn't get up. So I had to lie back down on the floor again. Because um, the my, my, my mind just felt so 
mushy mm. that I just couldn't um, I couldn't make sense of it all and I think part of it um, on reflection so part of it was probably the codeine so I um, you know because I because I wasn't as comfortable as I wanted to be so I took some codeine and that was that part of it that was probably part of the, the mushiness anyway um, but yeah I just felt like I couldn't I just couldn't do it I, and, mm. and, and I, I, I was then getting really embarrassed so I then got really embarrassed at, at myself and then I was like I've let Jules down because she's put this shindig together and I was meant to be part of it and I'm letting her down and then there's all these people that are here and I really like them and I know most of them and, and now I'm letting them down and yeah, there was all of this kind of narrative that was going on in my head and, and it links back to the burden bit um, so the the I really hated and I don't use that word very often I hated the fact I, I felt like I was burdening people um, and I know if I asked them they would say you weren't a burden in any mm. way shape or form that didn't change the fact that I, I felt like a complete and utter burden sure. um, and not necessarily a, I felt like so. I felt like a, a burden to lots of different people, and then that experience on that day, um, yeah, I just felt like I'd been a burden, and that was why I just took myself away because I was like, if I le- if I just leave, if I just leave, then I'm not burdening anybody else. Now, I'm sure that, and I guess I could ask you, but it'd probably be unfair to do. I'm sure there are people in the room that were like, "Is he okay? Has he got to the station all right? Is he all right? Did we need to make sure that he was okay?" But if any of you had come anywhere near trying to get me to the station or get me home safely, I would have told you to go away. Politely, I would have gone, "No, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm all right, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay," um, because I just, I. I I felt like I'd been a burden enough that if you know if, if somebody had said right I'm going to leave the shindig to take you to the station I'd have been like no that ain't going to happen because Jules couldn't leave because it was her gig and I was leaving all of you guys had paid to be there so you couldn't yeah you know, so like this is all in my head all of you guys had paid to be there so you couldn't leave to take me to the station so I was like right it's it's on you you need to get yourself to the station you need to get yourself home and yeah it, it was a it was an, it was a strange experience from the well my experience of being a member of that group was it was very much in tandem with what you just described in terms of I hope I can speak for most people there in saying that we all were concerned and we all cared um, but no one was wanting to disrupt the flow of mm. the session there was there was this other sort of layer of it which is odd really it was kind of this odd meta layer of d- given the fact that we were talking about emotion and we had a real emotional experience happening right there in front of us in the room that no one was able to abstract themselves from that process mm. and go somebody's suffering here we need to help out none more so than Jules actually because I remember her she was she was so concerned about you that we did we did very nearly just scrap what we were going to do in the afternoon so that we could make sure that everything was okay um, she probably knew you well enough to know that you yeah. wouldn't have, you wouldn't no, have, I wouldn't have I wouldn't wanted accepted that it. Yeah, yeah. accepted it yeah. but it, it, it's an odd thing where I think I imagine it must be the case for a lot of people who, who either work with or live with people who, who are going through this of, of on one side you've got somebody who is having an experience of, of feeling like a burden and then on the other side a group of people who desperately want to help but don't know 
how or even to how to ask yeah. how to help. And and I think so the there's definitely something in the um in 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 addressing the addressing the way that that we talk about and explore things rather than addressing the thing. So to be more specific, um, so I've and, and shameless open plea. I want to talk about grief on this podcast, but I can't get a guest on who's, who's willing to talk about grief in the workplace. So there's this is an open. There's you know. You can hear the change of tone in my voice. This is an open plea hmm. for. Uh, I, I really want to get somebody on talking about doing doing part of this of the story series talking about grief in the workplace because I think it was a it's a story that never gets discussed, and I really want to talk about it. Um, so if there's anybody out there that wants to be part of that, then contact me through the podcast or, or Twitter or wherever, um, and I'll put links to the how you can do that in the show notes. Um, but I'm really keen to get a guest on to talk about grief. So um, this week, then, I've uh, I've had a conversation with somebody who's suffering grief-wise. They've lost somebody very dear to them recently, and we did the performative "How are you?" shit. Okay, so we did the performative stuff, um, and then I said, "Right, like I, I, I want to ask you how how we can talk." over this phone call so like for me like I could not ask you anything about it and we could I could talk about what's going on for me and then we can we can just ignore that whole thing if you don't want to go there um or um I can ask questions about that stuff and we can talk about that stuff and then if I if if there's a question you don't want to answer or if you want to stop then you can just say I don't want to answer and stop and we'll stop and we'll either you know end the call and we'll you know, say goodbye, or we'll move on to a different topic of conversation. Um, or was there was a third option? Oh, uh, and um, you know, you've got free liberty to tell me that just you're done and you don't want to talk anymore, and, and any of those things are okay. So, I'm a big fan of the in, agreeing like the rules of engagement on the topic before you get into the topic. So. If that's about saying, yeah, you know what, how, how, how can I help you? But I also need you to tell me, like, if you don't want me to help you. Mm. And so, for example, you know, the person I was chatting to this week, I said, I'm going to continue to ring you to because I want to make sure you, I want to satisfy myself that you're okay. And there's, I have no expectation for you to answer. I've got no expectation for you to call me back if I leave you voicemail. I've got no expectation for you to, to talk to me about stuff. Um, and this is what I want to do. Is that okay? So, I think if if you if there are, if there is somebody around you who is struggling with chronic pain, then don't try and talk to them about the pain or the impact that's having on their life, talk to them about how they want to talk about those things. Mm. And and respect if they don't want to, you know, if they, if they don't want to do that. And there's, I've got a little caveat with that, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, so if they don't want to talk about it, then respect that, okay. Um, agree how you can continue to, to, to check check in or review that or to, to, to see how they are as, as you work your way through. Um, and... 
because I think it's a lot easier to be straightforward about to be straightforward and clear about how you're going to talk about the thing because that doesn't have any emotional laden with it you're not you're not talking about the pain down your legs or whatever that is you're saying how are we going you know, what's the what's the way that we can talk about those things so my caveat to the respect if um, if they don't want to now if you're a, an employer working with an employee you need to know what's happening and you need to know you know what what's going on in terms of um, you know, impact on them personally, professionally, how the workplace can support them and all those sorts of things. So there's the, my, my caveat to the respect them if they don't want to talk about it is you can't do that forever. You know, if you're an employer, you've got, mm. a, duty of, you've got a duty of care to that employee and to your organisation to make sure that, that stuff's happening. Um, and I would, yeah, my, advocate, my advocation then is the talk about the how you're going to talk about the thing rather than talk about the thing. And then once you've got those rules of engagement clear, I think it's then easier to go into that subsequent conversation. Um, yeah, and I, I could t- that's a lovely uh, piece of advice because I can see that, that that would just defog the conversational window and it's the fog that causes a lot of that discomfort yeah. and sense of unease around, oh, how am I going to even start this conversation? I know I can't ask how are you because I know they're not well at the moment, but how do I... Actually, starting it with a, what well, as you put it, rules of engagement, which is a kind of, a, I think, is like a military term, isn't it? But really, when you t- when you break it down to a conversation, it's how can we engage with each other? Mm. What, what expectations can we set up our conversations with each other? And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a very um, mature and strategic way of approaching a relationship. Yeah. So there, there was a, a lady who I used to coach, who was um, her mother sadly passed away, and. She said the bit she struggled with the most was when she'd walk into a room and somebody wouldn't ask, how are you? They'd tilt their head ever so slightly to the left and then they'd ask, how are you? And she's like, that just doesn't work for me. Mm. That, that just really doesn't work for me because that's, you know, I, I know what they're trying to do. And it was, it was interesting to kind of hear it as we were out for a walk. Um, I know what they're trying to achieve and I know they're trying to they're, yes they're interested in how I am and they're trying to communicate their understanding and their compassion but when I'm walking into a meeting that it's like the, just the worst thing you can ask me and I said okay so what do you want them to ask you I don't know I said what do you need to tell them what do you mean I said well if they don't know what to ask you they're, they're, they're doing the best they can you know to the risk of sounding NLP like they're doing the best they can with the resources that they've got available to them. Mm. So if you don't want them to ask the question, then tell them what to ask instead. So, you know, for example, you could have, how's work is one thing you can ask. What you've been up to today? How's your day going? Um, hello. You know, you could even just dispense with the with the greeting completely. But if that isn't working for you because mm. it's bringing up all of this stuff, then tell them, you know, don't tell them don't do that and give them nothing to work with. Mm. Tell them what you need instead. Um, and have the agreement in place that if you change your mind, you'll let them know that you've changed your mind. So that could mm. be you've changed your mind and how are you is own okay question now, or it could be that you've changed your mind and that question doesn't work for you either. Um, but you know, the, you are still going to have meetings with these people. So if you can agree, let them know what they can do to help you. Help you know, again. Now I sound like Rod Tidwell from Jerry Maguire. Help them. Help you. <laughs> Sorry, awful <laughs> film reference. Um, 
help me, me to help, help you. you. <laughs> help me to help you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. at the risk of being cliche and um, showing my nerdy knowledge of <laughs> of not lyrics because they're song lyrics, um, scripts from Jerry Maguire. Um, so, so I think there's an accountability for the individuals in the organisation to do that rules of engagement, but also there's an accountability for 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 me as the as the chronic pain sufferer to say these are you know for me to say right these are the rules of engagement mm. yes you know yeah ask me in my one-to-one ask me you know in a in these kind of contexts but don't ask me in these kind of contexts or um you know if i've got something to share i'll share it if not then don't then don't bother asking or if you ask and i shut you down that's a signal i don't want to talk about it so don't ask again mm. you know so that you we, I, I can uh, i can take some accountability for saying right this is what i want from you in the same way that the employer or the other people in that interaction can say, right, you know, I, I you could frame it as I, I worry about you, I care about you, I'm interested in your welfare, all of which are perfectly appropriate for the workplace. So, as part of that, I want to know how we can talk about this chronic pain that you're in or this grief that you're suffering or whatever that is. And, um, and, and link those two things together and at the risk of trying to make link things up where I don't think they are I I lost who I was for a long time and only in the last six months do I think I'm getting it back I I I, I lost a big chunk of who I am over the course of the two and a half years um, and at the risk of overcooking it there's there's definitely some grief in that you know so mm. I still um, you know will I so I don't think I'll ever run again and uh, regular listeners will know how important running was to me from a kind of well-being perspective mm. and, I, and I find a way through that into um, finding some enjoyment that I can get from swimming because I don't love swimming I get enjoyment from swimming Um but I've had to lo- I've had to get over losing that, you know, and and I'll, I'll never I I don't think I'll ever be able to play the dads versus sons football game. Mm. I don't think I'll um, be able to uh, help my middle child do advanced gymnastics stuff, you know, and and. And so there's a there's there's elements of loss within that, and I think that's that's often overlooked. That if if you've got a sense of who you are, and and there are things that that you use to define you, or those things that shape who you are, if you then have stuff going on, which for me was chronic pain, that then stops you being able to do those things, or to make those choices, or to do those actions, or whatever that is. Then, for me anyway, you know, I had an illness that was that was causing me to not be who I wanted to be and not be who I am. Mm. Um, and and there were absolute times where I was really defiant and almost sticking two fingers up to the illness to go no. So I went for a run. Uh, I think this was about three four months after I'd done. So I'd, I'd fractured. But I didn't know that I'd done it. 
and I'd been for a couple of runs and I was really struggling pain-wise. Um, so I'd run like a mile and then I'd have to walk back because I couldn't make it. Um, and then there was a guy who I get on well with and we went for a run together. And I went from having not managed a mile to running five miles. And then I had to spend two days in bed mm. because of the just the sheer agony I was in afterwards. But kind of that that sense of sticking two fingers up to the illness to go, no, I am going to go for a run and I'm going to run five miles and it's going to be fine. And I'm not going to be super slow. I was slower than I'd normally be, but I wasn't super slow. Um, so that kind of defiance and pushback against the illness, mm. for want of a better phrase. Um, but then it just ruined me for two days. Yeah. You know, I was just then you know, stuck with that. The, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. And so in losing something of what you felt, you know, was, was something that defined you, you, you put that phrase in the in the past. I lost who I was. Yeah. What's what's changed? So I've from, from then until now. Um, so I've accepted the fact that I'm never going to run again. I don't like it. I'd I'd, mm. I'd much rather uh, that I did. Um, but at the same time, you know. So my consultant, he has a different opinion. So uh, he thinks that I could run again. Um, but I don't know if I can lose it twice. Right. Mm. So that that's and and whether that's fear, maybe. Um, but I I don't I don't know if I could cope. No, oh, that's that sounds really grand. I think I'd really struggle with the the idea that I could run, and then starting running again, and then not being able to have it. So mm. in a way. Because I'm not unhappy, you know, so swimming is awkward. Swimming pools are only open at certain times. Swimming pools don't go with you wherever in the world you are. Um, and and you need more than just a pair of trainers and a pair of shorts, you know. Um, uh, so, and I'm okay with that. So I, I, can, I can work my life and, my, and I can work my work around me being able to swim because the the most important thing is that when I don't have ex, any kind of exercise uh, I've said it a few times already then I, I become a grumpy bastard mm. you know so exercise is a, is a therapeutic thing for me like cooking and, 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 and I lost both of those things actually because I couldn't cook because I couldn't stand you know so I, when I would cook it would be painful I couldn't stand a, I couldn't stand and, and cook for an hour because half an hour in, I'd be like, oh, oh, it really hurts. And then I'd have to sit down at the table and then I'm trying to chop with like, yeah, oh, I'm not peeing. It doesn't work on a podcast. Um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just, yeah. So We can all imagine, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's, so there's, um, there's those, yeah, there's that stuff. So I, I've, I'm, I'm happy with the types of exercise that I do, you know, I, and I'm now kind of quite, set in my routines so I do Pilates every morning so I do half an hour of Pilates every morning which is a mix of stretching and strengthening stuff um, so that you know that, that gives me what I need to kind of hold me upright and be stronger in that way I swim at least once a week I'm starting to use my legs when I swim now which I haven't been able to do for a number of years mm. um, yeah so there's some good stuff happening and yeah just the idea of starting running again and then not being and then having to stop again mm. Yeah, like in my head, 
I don't I, I don't feel like I could cope with losing it for a second time yeah that's perfectly yeah. understandable having gone through that cycle of loss yeah I haven't, I haven't really I haven't vocalised that before so it sounds a bit grandiose now but yeah I think it, even though even though you know the consultant saying you should be able to yeah I just I, don't, I feel like I don't want to I don't want to risk having it back and then losing it again. Yeah. And 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 for lots of other reasons, I guess, because if and this is the this is the catastrophizing thing that emotion does really well, that if I run and I dislodge some of the, you know, metal work and, and other things that I've got on my back and then the leg pain comes back then it's the impact on the family again then it's the impact on work again and then it's you know and then the mm. the catastrophizing happens really really quickly um, so if I can if I can maintain my health maintain my my wellness physically mentally emotionally and not risk any of those things happening then yeah I'm alright with that I think mm. Still want to jump out of a plane, though. <laughs> Just doesn't make any sense. Which makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, well, why not? That's a, that's a really good fingers I've up. always wanted to jump out of a yeah. plane. Not on a tandem either. I'd, I'd really want to do it on my own. Yeah. I'm going to do it on a different... Anyway, there's a whole other thing. And so you should, and I'm sure you will, knowing you. <laughs> Static line skydiver. We talked about loads here. We talked about we've covered we all have, sorts. We, we have, about the, we have the physical, the emotional, your personal experience of chronic pain. We've talked about tips for other people if they, you know, if they're working with or living with people who are suffering with this kind of thing. We've talked about your personal coping strategies. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, I guess if so if if you're a chronic pain sufferer then my advocacy would be to <laughs> Jerry Maguire ask help other people help you by by telling them what they can do to what they can best do to help and support you whether that be with um you know working arrangements working practices how to kind of open or enter into those conversations with you about it um, and all of that good all of that stuff mm. if you are a colleague or a friend or a, a partner of somebody who's in chronic pain um, yeah ask, ask them how how do we talk about that how do we talk about this you know what what are the um, what are the rules of engagement that go with it and and I guess this this applies to probably much more than just chronic pain, but the my experience was that my my thoughts and my feelings were just constantly clouded by the pain I was experiencing and and whether that be a physical pain, which is what I had or it be an emotional pain, like grief or loss or whatever that might be. The fact that what you think, the fact that what I was thinking, what I was feeling was, was constantly clouded by that stuff, by the, constantly not by that stuff, let me be more, be more specific. Because what I was thinking, what I was feeling was, was constantly clouded by that pain. It meant that 
that pain was always part of my frame of reference. And so I wasn't, it wasn't as easy for me to be as understanding or as empathic or as, um, I guess, aware of what could be happening or going on for other people because there were times where it was, it was so cloudy that I, I, I had no, not, not no awareness, but like all of my attention was taken on trying to manage the pain that I just couldn't account for anything else going on around, which is a bit like what we we're talking about at the facilitation shindig mm. that I just had to take myself out of it. Cause I couldn't think about, <clears throat> I couldn't think about me and you guys and Jules and all of that stuff anymore. I just had to go and just had to take myself out of it somehow. Um, so it, what what other people might see, as I said, I guess I think this is going back to what I said earlier on. That what other people might see is the withdrawn and the sighing and the huffing and the puffing and the temper and the lack of patience and all of those things. And work and those things pass and and they will get you know they will improve and there will be ups and you know there'll be peaks and not necessarily troughs but yeah just what you might see isn't necessarily what's going on Mm. so one of my favorite mantras is there's always more there's always more going on there's Mm. always other stuff going on beyond what we think we see or hear or feel or whatever that is um and sometimes we need to know what that is and other times we don't um yeah so Mm. yeah yeah, I don't. That, that didn't feel very coherent, but anyway. And 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 likewise, one of mine, which I borrowed very um, from the very generous Helen Amory, is uh, what am I making this mean? So if you are noticing those behaviours in other people, it's helpful to check yourself mm-hmm. every once in a while and thinking, well, what am I making this mean? Maybe you seeing that behaviour is thinking, well. Phil's not happy with this conversation. He wants it to end now. Yeah. I'm being boring. I'm being a burden in this conversation. And it suddenly becomes about your experience rather than the other person's experience or their their version of what's going on underneath the surface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that can be a helpful thing to look at too. So um, yeah, in, in, in always looking for more and asking for more, um, being mindful of anything that you might be taking meaning from that might not be there at all. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. So I've um, not heard that before. I like that. Yes, it's um, very Buddhist. I think it's a very Buddhist approach of yeah, just yeah, yeah. acknowledging there isn't really a truth, but we're all taking meaning from things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Hmm, gosh. So, and I, and I, I sense here we've also started getting into the grief space. So I'm, I think it's probably a good point to leave things off there because we were touching on loss and we've touched, yeah, yeah, we've touched yeah. on that, that approach. And, and I hope that you do get someone coming forward who wants to start that conversation of, of loss and grief in the workplace. And um, in the meantime, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you, Phil, for, for being so generous and sharing your experience so articulately as well as emotionally. Thank as you. if there would be any other way <laughs> with you. No, thank you. Thank you for, and thank you for reprising your, um, thank you for reprising your role as host as well. That's most My appreciated. Pleasure. Anytime. You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast and if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace either within individuals, between people in teams or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk Thanks for listening.